Greetings to all of you. I want to welcome all of us at Center Street Church, those of us here at Center Campus, as well as those joining from our campus in Bearspa, Bridgeland, Airdrie, and South Calgary. also want to welcome our online viewers as well. We are in an Advent sermon series called God Who. If you remember the first weekend in December, we had our phenomenal Christmas experience. The stories we highlighted talked about the character of a God who's not afraid of our questions. And last weekend, Pastor Kent talked to us about the God who descends from Philippians chapter 2, that Jesus Christ is God stepping into our world. In this sermon series, we are trying to unpack the character of the God of Christmas. If you want to know what God is like, all you have to do is pay close attention to the Christmas story. It reveals a God who is radically different from what most people imagine Him to be. Every now and then, I get an email from someone in our congregation going through a hard time. They question who God is in the midst of their troubles. They struggle to make sense of their circumstances in light of what they know about God's character. People wonder if God is good and He is all-powerful and He loves me, then why am I going through this? This absolutely makes no sense. They wrestle with what they believe to be true about the character of God and how their life is playing out. I tell you, that is a tough place to be in. Sincere prayers for healing don't always get answered the way we want. You lose a loved one. You intercede on behalf of a family member to come back to Jesus, and they show no signs of repentance. They insist on walking in their own stubborn ways. You want a change in your career, but you seem to be stuck in the same job, and you wonder for how long. The battle with mental illness prolongs, and it only seems to get worse this time of the year. When life gets hard, it is normal for us to question God, question His character, His goodness. And like in the book of Job in the Old Testament, we want to make sense of our suffering, and we long for a divine encounter. Now, I want you to know today, you don't need to hide your questions from God. You can safely bring them to Him. This is one thing you will learn about the God of Christmas as you bring your challenging questions to Him. The God of Christmas is not a distant God who resides way up there in heaven. He's not a benevolent observer in the sky, keeping a safe distance from all of your problems. This is a God who entered into the mire and muck of our world to become one among us. He identifies with us, and He knows what it means to be human. God stoops low in the incarnation so we can take a good, close look at Him. And the more our faith grows, the more we comprehend His character. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Prince Caspian, The Return to Narnia, presents Lucy meeting Aslan, the lion, who stands as the Christ figure in the story. After a long time, Lucy and Aslan once again cross paths, 
And Lucy looks intently at the large, wise face of Aslan, and she exclaims, Aslan, you are bigger. And Aslan replies, Lucy, that is because you're older. Every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Now, that is C.S. Lewis' masterful way of communicating something significant. As you grow in your faith, as you mature in your walk with God, you will find Jesus to be bigger and bigger. We esteem Him more. We are in awe of Him. We find Him to be spectacular, and He keeps captivating our hearts. Whether we are new in our faith or we've been believers for years, we never stop growing in our knowledge of Jesus. And that is my prayer for this Advent season and for this sermon series, that we will collectively grow in our knowledge of Jesus, and it in turn will affect how we live our lives. Today in this God Who series, I want to talk to you about the God who speaks. And our text for today is from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. If you're physically able, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things and through whom also He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Would you pray with me? Lord, in the busyness of this season, we intentionally pause and quieten our hearts because we believe you still speak today. We believe that you can personalize this message to each one of us here in this place, wherever we may be in our walk with you. So, Lord, I ask that your voice will be ever so clear this morning, and we will hear the truth of your word. Our lives will be no longer the same as a result of that. Would you draw us closer to you? Would you give us the right perspective? We give this time in your capable hands, and we pray this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You all may be seated. The Bible reveals a God who speaks. In fact, that's what sets apart the God of the Bible from the gods of antiquity. The psalmist says in Psalm 115, the idols of the nations have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. Feet, but they cannot walk. Mouths, but they cannot speak. In contrast, the God of the Bible speaks through various ways. The psalmist says the voice of the Lord is powerful and majestic. As you read the Bible, you will see God communicating through the prophets. 
Uh, the Old Testament prophets were messengers of God who received a message from God and they relayed that message to the people. And the prophets brought what you would call a progressive revelation. Uh, we come to know more about God as we read the Old Testament. Moses and the book of Exodus that we've been studying in the last few months reveals a God who longs to deliver His people. Isaiah presents a God who is eager to commission someone to speak on his behalf. Jeremiah is the weeping prophet who communicated God's heartbreak over the spiritual failures of his people. Hosea is the prophet who married a prostitute to communicate the drama of God's redemption story. The minor prophet Amos presents a God who wants justice and punishes all forms of wickedness. God communicated in piecemeal form in the Old Testament. And by the time you come to the end of the Old Testament, you will know a lot about God. The writer of the book of Hebrews points out, God spoke in times past through the prophets and in various ways. They were all legit. God spoke face to face with Moses. He spoke through a still small voice to Elijah. He communicated through dreams and visions. He revealed himself through circumstances. The truth is, God still speaks today, and that just hasn't changed. God still communicates in various ways to His people. He speaks through the Bible, the written Word of God. There was a time in my life as a fairly new Christian I was sensing God was calling me to full-time Christian ministry. At the time, I was doing my bachelor's in business, and I wondered what all of this meant for the implications for my life. And I said, Lord, are you really calling me to serve you? If so, would you speak to me and make it so clear in my heart that every doubt will be removed? And soon after that, I was sitting in a dorm room of my friend in university, I found a Bible lying on the table. I decided to open the Bible and read those words that were highlighted and underlined, and these words just leapt at me. You did not choose me, but I chose you and ordained you to bear fruit. John chapter 15, verse 16. I needed no other confirmation after that. That was God's personal word for me, confirming His plan for my life. God clearly communicates through His written word. He personalizes the message for us. God speaks through many other ways. He speaks through the promptings of the Holy Spirit, a still, small voice. He speaks through our circumstances. God communicates through the wise counsel of God's people. He speaks through dreams and visions. But we need to pay attention to what the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying in our text. Yes, God spoke in piecemeal form through the prophets. Yes, God spoke through various ways in the past, and He continues to do that today. But the clearest definitive, conclusive way God has spoken once and for all is through Jesus Christ. And that is why Christmas is so important. 
The message of Christmas is God is not silent. He's not withdrawn. He's not uncommunicated. Christmas is a stark reminder to us that God has spoken to the whole world through Jesus Christ, that Jesus is God's universal message to every single person on this planet. If you're saying to yourself, I need to hear the voice of God and know that God's sending of His Son is the clearest communication He has ever given. That is His ultimate and final revelation. So if anybody says, I have a new revelation about God that is better than what Jesus offers, our immediate response is, no thank you, Jesus is all I need. Jesus is the one you need to look to if you want to understand who God is. For Jesus is the embodiment of God's very presence and character. If you want to know the heartbeat of God, look to Jesus. If you want to know how God feels, look to Jesus. If you want to know what is important to God, hear what Jesus says in the Gospels. If you want to know how God views people, look at how Jesus interacts with people because Jesus Christ is God in flesh. And that's what our text in Hebrews is communicating. There is nobody like Jesus. What is so special about him? The author of Hebrews is going to paint a picture of the supremacy of Christ in this text. Look at the first part of verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. God has clearly communicated. He has decisively spoken to us through Jesus Christ, who is the heir of all things. If you're wondering, what distinguishes hearing from the Son from hearing from the prophets, here's the difference. The prophets spoke all along about the Son. They were simply signposts who were pointing to Jesus. This is the continuity that we see between the Old and the New Testament, and Jesus is at the center of both the Testaments. The Old Testament talks about Jesus' future coming. The New Testament presents the fulfillment of that truth. And as the heir to God's throne, Jesus is the rightful owner of all things. He has all authority and power. Everything else exists to serve Him. Everything will submit to His Lordship. For that will be the culmination of history. When every single person, principalities and powers, and all of creation in heaven and on earth will come to the resounding conclusion that Jesus Christ is Lord. Our text also says in verse 2, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also... He made the universe. And not only is Jesus the heir of all things with all power and authority, 
But Jesus is also God's agent in creation. Now go to the book of Genesis, where in the opening chapter of the Bible, we see the creation story. We see how God created the heavens and the earth. Now we often say, God created the world out of nothing. And that is true. But if you pay close attention to the opening words in the Bible, you'll find something fascinating. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And look at the condition of the earth before God spoke light into existence. It was chaotic. Everything was dark and formless. Now, that word formless is used to refer to a wilderness or a wasteland. The word empty or void means waste. So that's the earth before life came into being. It was a wasteland. And what do we see? We see the creative miracle of God. The Spirit of God is hovering over the waters, and then God spoke. Let there be light, and there was light. This is the creation narrative in Genesis. Then it talks about how God goes on to create the sun, moon, stars, plants, animals, and human beings. So when God spoke His Word, He redeems the chaos. He transforms the wasteland, and light shines that very moment. Darkness has no option but to flee. The chaos is turned into a creative miracle of God that leads to life and beauty. Now, the creation account in Genesis describes how God takes a wilderness and turns it into something that declares His own splendor and glory. He makes everything good, and like an artisan, he creates an incredible, exquisite work of art that is a masterpiece. So that's the creation account in Genesis. Let me show you the parallels in the New Testament. As you open the New Testament and come to the pages of the Gospel of Matthew, what do we see? We see darkness, and chaos. There was no word from God for over 400 years since Malachi, the prophet. The nation of Israel had hit its lowest of lows. They are under one foreign empire after another. They are oppressed. They are suffering. The people of God were languishing in darkness. And what do we see in the Gospels? Like in Genesis, the Holy Spirit comes into the picture. He moves powerfully, and His power overshadows a teenage girl. She gets miraculously pregnant, and she delivers a baby that is no ordinary child. This is the Word of God. God, who spoke in the book of Genesis, speaks once again so clearly and powerfully by sending His Son, Jesus Christ. 
And just as in Genesis, the word of God that was spoken drove the darkness away and he brings forth light and transforms the wilderness into a creative miracle, we see that happen once again through the coming of Jesus. Chaos is turned around. Redemption draws near. And the light of God shines so brightly in the face of Jesus Christ and the whole world is transformed as a result. Jesus is God's agent in creation. What else does Hebrews say? Look at the first part of verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. Now that is another way of saying the sun is the Father's signature. He's the radiance of God's glory. That word glory symbolizes the essence of God's presence. So Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. Jesus manifested God's visible presence. And Jesus is not just a radiance of God. He is the radiance of God. Remember what Jesus himself said about him in John chapter 14, verses 8 and 9? Philip, one of Jesus' disciples, said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Can't get any clearer than that. Seeing Jesus is like seeing the Father. Jesus does not just resemble God. He is God. Jesus doesn't have just a spark of divinity in Him. He is divine. In Jesus Christ, we see the intense brightness of God's glory made evident to each one of us. So when you look at Jesus, you are looking at God in the mirror. Jesus is the reflection of God the Father. Our text says not only is Jesus the radiance of God's glory, but He is the exact representation of His being. That word exact representation in the original language is used to refer to an instrument that is used to engrave something. It's also used to refer to the impression that is made by a seal. A seal with an engraved image on it, dipped in ink, will provide the exact representation or replica of the image that it represents. So in the same way, Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. He shares the same essence of the Father. So Jesus offers to us a true and trustworthy picture of the Father with no flaws. If you want to know the character of God, look to Jesus, for that's what God is like. Now, as the author of Hebrews continues to paint this image of Christology and the supremacy of Christ 
he goes on to say something that would simply blow a Jewish mind. He says in verse 3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. Now, in the Jewish mind, God was not only the creator of all things, but He's also the sustainer of all things. In His power, God sovereignly rules and reigns over all things. Nothing is outside His control or jurisdiction. Now, that, that same thought of God being the creator and sustainer is now being applied to Jesus. Not only does Jesus create the universe, but He sustains the universe. He directs the course of this world. He is like the conductor who moves everything along. Jesus spoke the whole universe into existence. He is the one who brought everything into being. And now the same Jesus, through His powerful Word, exercises control over this entire universe. It's Jesus who is keeping the cosmos in order, keeping the orbits from flying out of control. Everything is coherent and logical and not chaotic in our universe because Jesus is in charge. So powerful is Jesus that His Word holds the entire cosmos together like a glue. Now listen to me. This is not just true of the cosmos. It is also true of our personal lives. When you go through a season in life and you feel like your whole world is falling apart, you feel let down, you feel disillusioned, you can't make sense of what is happening in your life right now. You feel despair and disappointment and disillusionment and you're drowning in all kinds of negativity. In those moments of life, when you come to Jesus wounded and broken and look to Him for help, He holds you together by His powerful Word. For if He can keep the entire universe from unraveling, Surely, He can keep your world from falling apart. And you may think, I don't know how I'm going to face this next challenge that's facing me. Because I have no strength left. I'm totally wiped out. I'm sinking. Jesus comes to your rescue. And like a glue that holds things together, He will hold you up. He will sustain you. He will anchor you. That is His unfailing promise. So as the author of Hebrews paints this glorious picture of who Jesus is, He comes to the culmination of our text when He talks about the preeminent work of Jesus Christ. The last part of verse 3. After He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. You can call Christmas the greatest rescue mission ever. Why did Jesus come? 
Why did he leave the glories of heaven to enter into our world as a human? He came primarily to offer purification for our sins. That was the work of the high priest that every Jew was aware of. All of the priestly ministry of the old covenant were foreshadowing what was to come. They were all signposts that pointed to Jesus. And our sins have separated us from God. It has cut off all forms of communication. But the miracle of Christmas is God is the one who takes that first initiative to speak. He sends His Son. He bridges the gap and He restores our relationship with Him. Jesus was born to die. That's the reason He became a human. And because of Christ's sacrifice, we are the forgiven, redeemed community of God's people. If Christmas is about presents, this is the best present you can receive. The gift of forgiveness and a fresh new start. In the Old Testament, the high priest who offered purification for sins on behalf of the people never had a seat in the temple because their work was never complete. Never finished. Their intercession was ongoing. But Jesus, by his death on the cross, paid for the sins of the whole world. And he says on the cross, it is finished. The work is complete. The mission has been accomplished. And that's why Hebrews says he's now seated. The price has been paid in full. And where is he seated? When someone is seated at the right hand of a monarch, they're sharing the throne with the ruler. It's the place of highest honor. And that's where Jesus is, having finished his mission on the cross. He's seated now at the right hand of the Father, sharing the throne with him. Christmas is a reminder that Jesus came to save us from our sins. It's the primary reason for His coming. Let me share a popular Christian quote. The source is not known, but it communicates accurately what we believe about Jesus. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a Savior. Christmas is all about the Savior. It's not a cultural holiday where we exchange gifts with one another and honor Santa Claus. This is about the gift of a Savior who's come down from heaven. And we give praise to God for His precious gift. We reflect on His suffering, on His sacrifice. The Word of God became flesh. He bears the exact image of God. 
He reveals what God is to us, and He paves the way for us to be reconciled with Him. That is the crux of the Christmas message. I want to transition now to celebrating the Lord's Supper. If you're watching us online, have a piece of bread and some juice ready so you can participate in this experience with us. There's no other ordinance that puts the spotlight on Christ's work on our behalf like the Lord's Supper. You cannot separate the manger from the cross. Jesus left the glories of heaven to enter into our world. What kind of love is this that would motivate someone to leave a place of perfection and come into our world of brokenness and suffering and pain. When we question God in difficult seasons of our life, when we wonder what His character is like, when we ask God who, we need to remember this is the God who hung on a cross. You cannot understand the character of God outside of the cross of Jesus Christ. So we celebrate the Lord's Supper as Christ's followers who've been forgiven of our sins. And we remember the character of the God we serve. In the midst of the fun and the festivity of the season, let us remember Jesus came primarily as our Savior. His mission was to save us from our sins. And as we partake of these communion elements by faith, we once again encounter Jesus afresh, and He nourishes our soul. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 to 28, we see how the Lord's Supper was instituted as an ordinance. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So what we hold in our hands are visual symbols and reminders of Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. They, when we partake by faith, minister life to us because we encounter Jesus in the process. So why don't we take a moment right now to close our eyes and prepare our hearts so we can meaningfully partake of these elements. And this is the time. If there's something that you need to confess to the Lord, if there is a habitual sin in your life, this is the time to say, Lord, would you forgive me? Would you break the power of this sin over my life and help me by your grace to live a life of victory? Let's maintain a moment of silence and then I'll pray for us and then we'll partake of the elements.
Lord, we recognize that our greatest need was for forgiveness. And that's what you have so generously offered us through Jesus Christ. You've given us the gift of a Savior. And because of His sacrifice, we are redeemed. We are forgiven. We are washed whiter than snow. And we stand before Your presence with no fear and condemnation, but at the assurance that we are sons and daughters of the living God. So even as we partake of these elements, May we be truly reminded, Lord, of all that you have done for us. Strengthen us so we will be able to live all out for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask all of us to stand right now. And even as you're standing, you can just remove the wrapper on the top and you can grab hold of the wafer. And then there is a Another layer below that, when you remove that, you will be able to drink from the cup. If you want to hear God speak, look to Jesus and no further. Because Jesus is the most definitive, conclusive way God has spoken. The body of Jesus was broken for us. And that is God's way of saying to us, that's how much I love you. Let's partake of this bread with gratitude. The blood of Jesus was shed for us. And that is God's way of saying, you are my sons and daughters. You belong to my family. Let's partake of this with gratitude.